You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 45. This week's topic, war, conflict, and human trafficking. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of the year. And if you are tuning in for the very first time, you are in for a very special show to kick off the new year. We have had the opportunity to sit down with two very special guests on this episode, dear friends of the Global Center for Women and Justice and friends of Sandy, and I had the opportunity to meet them just a few weeks ago when they were out here in Southern California. And our guests on this week's show are Esther and Camille in Toto, and they are going to be talking about their experience and their work in the Democratic Republic of Congo which is a very, very difficult place to be doing work in these areas uh, right now. And I want to jump right into the interview that Sandy had with them just a couple of weeks ago. And so uh, here is our interview with Esther and Camille in Toto. I am very excited to have guests in the studio with us today that are Vanguard alums, Esther and Camille in Toto, attended Vanguard University, but they are originally Congolese. And eventually, through um, a series of God moments, ended up back in one of the most desperate areas of global human trafficking on our planet, right in the heart of Africa, right in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The Even while they've been here uh, visiting in Orange County, their own city was under siege by rebels. They have lived under the, um, the, the threat of violence every single day and have done amazing work there. So we're going to talk to them today about the relationship of war and conflict to human trafficking. Now, they could tell us a lot of other things, but we're going to try to stay on track with that. So Esther and Camille, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think what I'd like to hear from you is what kind of human trafficking have you identified in your area there in Congo? Well, we need to say first that uh, Congo has been hit by war. It's been 16 years, 6 million people have died, and it's also been called the rape capital of the world, where one out of three women has been raped. And in that kind of context, we can only imagine that some of the rebel forces, the militia groups, and the people that are involved in the confrontations would use sex trafficking as a means of uh, retaining power and control. And initially, when they used sexual violence, it was called a, a weapon of war that they were using. And the goal was to humiliate, annihilate, and uh, uh, have control over the group that they were actually uh, fighting. And so that has continued, whereas children now are involved, where groups actually take children from another tribe, ethnic group, or another uh, uh, village just to be able to show the, the people in that village that they have actually a power over them. 
and the women uh, are used as sex slaves uh, because not only do they use them as labor force but as sex slaves because you know it's again one way of saying okay in that particular uh, group that we've taken over well we control not only their um, uh, ability to sustain themselves as a group but we are showing them that we are more powerful and stronger than them and so it is sad to say and it's sad to uh, experience but there is no help for these people because the government is not coming to help them with laws and uh, enforcing uh, those laws you don't have groups that are uh, strong enough to be able to go and deliver them and uh, set them free and uh, in many cases it's just acceptable and people just look the other way because they think that this is something that we cannot solve these people have weapons they have uh, ammunition they do this with uh, uh, some kind of uh, power uh, and control that somehow nobody's able to do something about it there's also, I can add, uh, uh, beside the, the phenomenon of a child soldier, um, mm-hmm. we also have uh, in child labor that young girls and boys are taken from villages by their own family members to bring to be brought in the city or a bigger village. Uh, and some of them are promised to come to school, but when they get there, they don't go to school. They become slave. Uh, for the family, uh, domestic, uh, domestic uh, slave, and also uh, abused sexually. There's also uh, uh, child trafficking uh, on the street uh, because, uh, for instance, let me give you an example. We started uh, in our children program to take small children that were on the street. We noticed that one of them was seriously sick uh, in the group that we took in our center. And talking to him, because he had all the, uh, how you call it, the infection that you oh. could imagine. So we took him in the hospital. This eight-year boy, eight-year-old, eight-year-old a boy, his name is Tony, uh, had all the STDs that you could imagine. Oh. Because this boy is used as a sex slave on the street by bigger children uh, street kids and uh and he was telling us how the smaller kids that's what they use them for to rob and when they don't bring enough uh when they don't bring enough money uh at night to the group that they belong to uh they are raped but that's uh usual uh, like punishment yeah punishment but they are not raped by punishment. Uh, when they are punished because they don't bring enough money to their group, they don't eat mm. at all. Yes. And, and you mentioned child soldiers. Yes. What does that look like? It's horrible. Um, we also have some child soldier in our children program. And one of them uh, is 22 today, but when we got him, he was 18. He went through six different armed groups included the uh the, the army the, the government forces. the government uh, forces the congo government yes forces. the congo oh. uh, military he went to six of them and the story of that boy is just amazing to see resilience in this boy how if seen we've one day we ask him how many kids do, can you could you count he couldn't 
because in all those different groups, he was always with other children. And he saw so many of them, his friends, his mm. close friend died, not, be, not only uh, be, during the war, in the fightings, but punishment because they, they, didn't, uh, uh, they didn't charge the ammunition correctly or because they, didn't, they were not strong enough and they were killed on the line going uh, in fightings. Or because they were tired, uh, just yes, carrying just, uh, yes, heavy carrying loads. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, well, what you what you say there, and both of you, you've mentioned there's no resource to help. And in the 2012 Trafficking in Persons report, it says that this area is Tier 3. Tier 3 means there's no law. Mm-hmm. There's no one to enforce any laws that may be existing. Right. So um, sometimes we as Westerners, we look at the problem and we think, well, if we can help the victims, this mm-hmm. is the best approach. But what can we do from all the way over here that is policy that will help us move from tier three to tier two to tier one? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of advocacy uh, is going to help you get those kinds of laws? Well, um, as far as we're concerned, uh, we looked at the situation and there was this sense of powerlessness at first. And Esther, for instance, was coming back to the house as, you know, with another story of a woman who had been raped or mm. who was used uh, as a sex slave or a sex labor uh, for uh, a number of uh, years uh, in a group or another. And I would hear and listen to those stories uh, on a regular basis. And she was in tears every time she would tell me those stories. And then one day I said, no, stop. I went and started thinking and praying and saying, well, what is it that we're doing wrong? There is more resources poured into helping the women and children who are the victims, but why is it that the numbers are still increasing? And so, and then as I was thinking about it, well, it dawned on me that we were all addressing the consequence of the situation, Mm -hmm. which is helping the women and children who are Mm -hmm. victims. But it was about time that we we actually addressed the root cause and who were the root cause. More than 90% of the perpetrators are men. And so it's easy to blame and accuse and say and condemn and all that, but we are not solving anything by doing that. And so we decided to have a different approach, which is actually dealing with the man, the hearts of man, going after those who are actually committing those crimes and say, okay, what is it that we can do to actually change their mindset and behavior? Because if they're doing this, that means something has gone wrong in the man of Congo. And so we started this initiative that we've called the Rising of the Sons of Congo, which is basically putting the man together and go through a curriculum, whereas they have the ability to uh, interact with subjects such as, you know, the identity of man. Men ha- hold the key to, to change in Congo, uh, a taboo subject as uh, uh, sex in the family and, uh, and things like uh, leadership uh, in the family and all that. And as the men have an opportunity to talk with each other about those different subjects, and they have the opportunity also to listen to a radio program that we've put together, the experience change. And when we started uh, the program, we launched it in April uh, of 2011, and we said, well, you know, why, why don't we go and reach about 500 leaders? Because we had no idea how they would actually, you know, receive this program. And as we speak today, we are glad to report that there is over 8,000 men who have gone through the program. Wow. 
and whose lives are being transformed. And we hear the testimonies of the women in the lives of these men that are saying, what is it that you're doing to our husbands, to our uncles, to our uh, nephews? Their attitudes and behaviors, all that is changing. And so what I would say in terms of policy, in terms of advocacy and all that, is that we would invest a lot more into helping the man in the, 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 the difficult situations that they go through understand that they're supposed to be the protectors of society as opposed to be uh, predators, you know, uh, turning angry men into loving men and help them understand their role as leaders. And I think the more we actually raise leaders, the less we will have predators in our societies. And again, as we, we talk about uh, advocacy, if we can put policies in an intentional way that actually address the situations of these men uh, in the conditions they are, I think we can put an end to this. Uh, Esther told you about this young child, uh, teenager, who has actually gone through all the different uh, army groups. Had it not been for the fact that somehow he ended up on, in our hands, I mean, he would just perpetrate the same thing yeah. that he's been victim of. And you have a cycle that never ends because we are dealing and, and sometimes we try to help the, the victims, but the perpetrators are left to themselves. And what do they do? They reproduce themselves. And, and that seems to be accepted in culture. And Esther, you were telling me how culture makes it normal. Yes, uh, totally normal, because in our own comfort in the city, we see, we see uh, one of our students at the Leadership Academy uh, after a class of uh, conflict um, transformation uh, came to us and was sharing with us that uh, because we talked about forgiveness, he realized that uh, he's been accepted in his family to bring some of his nieces who were eight, nine years old to the city and he knew that he was going, uh, she was going to go to school and realized, no, they, we're not paying uh, her for school. She's working, but she's also abused. Mm. And she's taken as a, as a slave in the house. Mm. And uh, this is so normal to us. To, uh, and he, he even told me that day, look at every family that we can go and visit today. You will see a young girl or two, depending on the, the wealth of the family. Uh, the bigger the house, the bigger the, 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 the slave Number, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and some are treated really awful. Oh, they are they are mistreated. They are taken as uh, as nothing. The if you have in the house uh, the bigger boys, they abuse her. Mm. Uh, the the father do the same, and the mother the the mother of the house uh, they they just uh, abuse her uh, physically, uh, psychologically, and uh, they don't give her much. And if she doesn't do her work well, uh, she doesn't eat. She doesn't get to eat. And she works day and night. You know, in our context, there are a lot of homes that don't have running water. So you have to go and work and mm. walk for months to fetch water. She's the one who has to go. Wow. And it has been uh, proven that many of those girls and women that are raped, it's early in the morning. It's early in the morning that uh, men wait for them on the corner with the heavy loaded and rape them. It's oh going my. to fetch water, you mm. know. And so who do they run to? Who do they go to? 
So maybe sometimes when we're looking from a Western perspective at prevention and I, someone says, oh, let's do prevention and teach the little girls how to say no. Maybe instead we should be building um, plumbing that goes to the exactly. house. Exactly, exactly. It's all of that. We yes. have to all look at that. prevention yeah. differently. And yes. you were saying, Sandy, earlier on, that this is an old problem with a new name. Mm. And I think we have governments in place, we have uh, agencies, we have social uh, enterprise that don't know how to address this because uh, for a long time they don't, they didn't even consider this to be a problem. Mm. It's but no today, uh, today, as we look at the consequences of that and an entire society being completely torn apart now we need to be very intentional about how do we address these things and it comes down to infrastructures and the way we are intentional about ending this type of violence and considering every human being as a human being as yes. opposed to well you know she didn't have a chance to go to school so we bring her here and so well and one of the one of the things that you bring up is the significance of power and control. Mm -hmm. And in that particular part of the world, sometimes uh, when you're talking about power and control, we don't see the dollar signs. So we're like, well, how is that trafficking? But um, I know that there are mines in that area. And so uh, a lot of the sex trafficking may not be uh, purchasing individual purchasers, but it will be involved with supporting the um, um, the workers that are then at the mines, or and there's so many other the, all the different rebel armies and the UN forces, all of these things that drive demand. Tell me about the mines and why it, why should I care about your mines? Well, one of the reasons you should care about our mines is that you communicate here in the U.S., in the Western world. And the way you communicate is using some uh, technological device like cell phones, like computers, like, you know, uh, some of those nice little things that we all love. Mm. Well, one of the things that is actually used in building those nice uh, technological device is called coltan. And in Congo, we have 80% of the world resource. Now, in order for us to communicate in the West, that means somebody has to go into those mines and get this uh, cassiterite and be able to get the coltan out of it. And what is happening is that uh, uh, people are actually fighting over control of that. Mm. And that actually drives demand because those who actually go to get those minerals need to have a workforce to do that enhanced trafficking. You get young people, you get young children, you have uh, young girls, and they're supposed to, uh, you know, attend to the minors uh, who are in those areas, and the young children are carrying uh, stuff, and they're taken away from their families. And so if we are able to say, okay, how do we control the exploitation of this very important uh, mineral resource, then that will actually drive demand down. And so we are all concerned about this. You were asking earlier, what can you do here in your comfort of uh, Orange County? That's one of the things that you can do. You can talk to your Congress, uh, your Congress people, and ask them to bring into law to uh, demand on in those industries that use those mines. Uh, it's true that there's already there's already a, a law. I don't remember California the- transparency. Supply Mm -hmm. chain transparency. You see that it doesn't change the problem. Mm. We still have as many rebel groups every day. We still have those uh, trafficking of our children, women and men, because that didn't bring that much because there's no reinforcement over there on the... 
on the on our end on our end mm. so if you can make uh, your government here to put pressure in our government and really make sure that uh, what you promise our government are cut if they don't uh, if they don't uh, apply their sanctions and, yes and sanction those that are perpetrators of uh, of all those uh, those actions, nothing will happen. So there's something that you can do because you are using you are using every day uh, a part of Congo and that, in your everyday life. That means we have a vested interest and um, culpability yes. in the whole process. And when we talk about our government, and um, I I saw a picture of you mm-hmm. with our Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. So I think our government is concerned. You know, yes, I was very impressed by uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton of how much she knew about our situation, and that really impressed me. But it's been what three years, and, and so I don't see, you and I don't see, see I don't see much change. And uh, we want to see more action. You cannot say something and do other things, uh, yeah. you know. And uh, you cannot promise and uh, and keep on promising and uh, not coming into uh, so action. Bringing up the California Supply Chain Transparency Act is really brilliant because all of us have some kind of connection to the products that end up in our stores. And that connects us to countries all over the world where we do have some kind of impact on them. And usually our our choices have driven power and control um, circumstances for profit um, that produce really horrible vulnerability um, mm. issues for the people that are victimized in human trafficking. I think that I'm going to be much stronger in looking at what I can do from this perspective on supply chain transparency. I have that law right here in California. And I was asked recently, well, really, it's just the consumer has the right to ask. There's no teeth in the law. Mm. So what I want podcast listeners in California to do is to pick up the phone and ask. Ask the consumers. As consumers, Mm -hmm. we need to ask the companies that sell products here where did the mineral in my cell phone come from you know cindy i will add that because one of the way that uh, our enemies have been doing uh the enemies of congo and wanting only the minerals uh it's using our neighboring countries Mm. around us they are they don't have in their soil the mine the coltan the, the coltan ah. but in the export sheet they export coltan so you wonder whoa what happened what just happened did god did a transfer of coltan <laughs> yeah. in some neighboring countries but you now as american when you go and buy your coltan your uh, the in, the industry would say well it came from not from Congo, but it came from that country. But ah. that country doesn't have coltan in this coltan in so in this soil. So that's very complicated. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it becomes very complicated. Yes. And you were talking about what can be we can be done in terms of policies and everything. Well, that's one way. 
to sanction the countries that are benefiting from the trouble and turmoil in eastern Congo because they are making profits out of you know the the situation the unstable situation in eastern Congo and somehow uh, the companies Feeling that are dealing it. with them are saying well you know it doesn't come from Congo well you know uh, the countries you're dealing with don't have one mine of coltan in in, in their soil oh my so goodness. i feel i feel like What you have demonstrated so well for me and my students will listen to this when I teach human trafficking this next semester is that we cannot from an external perspective understand what is happening on the ground. It is so important that we have cultural and um, community insiders if we're going to attack demand. I love the rising sons of Congo. really engaging the men that drive demand, but it goes so much further. And what you two have done going to the Congo, uh, I remember Esther, you told me when you first went to the hospital and experience that really illustrates why even from that perspective, it's so important for you to go back. Yes. You know, for me, uh, Sandy, I I came to this uh, hospital and Right there uh, in Goma? Right there in Goma. It was my first time. I never uh, I never went there. I didn't know the language. I didn't know anybody. And I'm in this hospital ward, and there's about uh, 100 women and children, some sharing, uh, two sharing a bed. And uh, one here, somebody's introducing us, and from another here, uh, another lady is telling us all these women and children have been raped. So I'm overwhelmed when I hear a woman on top of her lungs say, when we are introduced, finally, our own people think about us. Usually mm-hmm. it's the white people who come and visit us. And right there, Sandy, it was like a knife in my heart. Because we were introduced as a Congolese couple who live in the States who came to visit they didn't know that we came to stay. Ah. And we, right there, I realized that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I belong. And I'm not carrying the name of Esther for, for nothing. And mm. I didn't go through in my life the things that I go through uh, for nothing. God doesn't waste anything. It's for such a time as this that what I had received, I could now give back to my people. I believe that you're raising up leaders that are going to change it from the ground floor in the Congo. Um, I wish we had time to tell the story of your student. Can you do it in two minutes? Um, Which one? <laughs> the nine-year-old who stopped you and said, look, if I'm going to be an engineer. Okay. I made glasses. Send me to school. Well, yes. Prince is one of the many kids uh, who was on the street and Many of them, when they were following me, they would say, Mama Esther, give me food, give me money, give me this. But Prince will come to me and say, Mama Esther, send me to school. So he had my attention. And one day, and for months, he did that. One day he said, if you don't send me to school, I won't be an engineer. I love to invent things. And so uh, he was eventually in our program. And what we do in our program, we teach them leadership, among other things. And that month, we taught them about Martin Luther King Jr. And for the English class, they were supposed to memorize one verse of uh, I Have a Dream speech. And Prince did it, but he would not get back to his seat. So I came 
and, and encourage him to go back to his seat. And he looked at me and said, this was Martin Luther King dream. I have a dream for DR Congo. And he did his own speech. Today, Prince is dreaming to be the president of Congo. Today, Prince is writing a book and his title is The Leader Without Fear, My Dream. This morning, we talked to him oh. with other kids. We had a session with them oh. on Skype. And he was sharing with us how is, uh, this past two weeks with the rebel on the ground really impacted him and he thought of the uh, of his book and he started thinking the leader without fear i haven't reached it because i was fearful mm. this past two weeks and we had to tell him it's okay it's okay to be uh, fearful in fact fear can bring something good out of you and we had to encourage him wow. this morning on the phone um to tell him that it was okay. We told him about courage, that fear, uh, courage is actually the ability to keep yes. moving forward even in the midst or in the face of fear. Oh, and we had to oh, tell wow. him that, otherwise he would feel so guilty that somehow yes. he was fearful. You see, this is how we will end human trafficking in Congo, exactly. bringing up the next generation of leaders, raising the the sons of Congo who will have the power to make those changes and become the protectors. Our time is up, but tell us how they can find you on the internet. Well, it's very easy. Uh, www.africanewday.org is our website. And you can just surf and see some of the things that we're involved in. You can also look at www.loafrica.net. We are still working on our website, but at least you'll have some information. Okay. And of course, you can go to gcwj.vanguard.edu. Esther, it is a privilege having you. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Camille, we will... We will do another interview by Skype when you're back in yes. Congo. Look forward to yes. it. I would like to interview Prince. Oh, yes, yes. Yes? Yes, yes. He's and you the know, next generation God of world changers. God has opened the door for Prince. He's going to come in September in September of 2014. 2014 in a school here at San Juan Capistano that has that is sponsoring him to come and spend his uh, senior, uh, year. senior year of high school here. So... And You're going to have him here in this studio. And then we want him to be a student just like you were yes, at, at Vanguard, Vanguard That's University. our dream. Oh, Thank you so much for what wonderful. you're doing, Thank Sandy. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I could listen to them talk all day long, and their stories are captivating, inspiring, and heartbreaking. And the work that they are doing, as you can imagine, is very complicated, very dangerous, and also very important to the global effort of ending human trafficking. And all of us in this community care so deeply about this issue, about reaching out to people through not only serving victims, but through preventative measures so that we can, as a global community, work together to end this tragedy. And if you have been inspired like I have to go out and to do something, I would encourage you to uh, utilize this as an opportunity to start off this year and to look for the opportunities that all of us have 
to reach out and to make changes. And there were several on this show, and there are many others that you have heard throughout this entire series and this podcast. And of course, there will be many more to come. So keep listening. We're going to continue our production schedule this year to air every other Thursday. And so I want to thank you so much for your support of this show. If this show has been helpful to you and you're an iTunes user, if you'd take a moment to go on iTunes, just search for Ending Human Trafficking and leave us a review that helps tremendously in this show being able to get more visibility and for more people to be able to learn about this issue and then take responsible action to help us to end it. And thank you in advance also if you are a Stitcher listener and you're on the Stitcher network and have joined in to listen to us. If you're on Stitcher, go ahead and hit that little thumbs up sign. If you like this episode, that'll help us to continue to get traction on the Stitcher network. And if you hit the little star icon, it will ensure you get future episodes as well. If you have a comment, question, or feedback for us about anything you heard on this show, you can reach out to us at 714-966-6361 or our email address, gcwj at vanguard.edu for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. Have a great start to the year, and we'll talk to you in two weeks.